This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly sermon podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's sermon. Okay, so we have been in this series, uh, uh, Pursuing Spiritual Excellence, Telling the Whole Truth. Uh, That's what we're going to be talking today. Over the last five weeks, we've been following the lives of certain Jewish exiles, Daniel and his friends as well as the life of a once great king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. By the way, does anybody know what city occupies the site of Babylon today? Baghdad, Iraq. That's right. Somebody knows their geography. Interesting. Still in the news. So we're not all that out of step with current events, are we? So we've sat ringside as Daniel and his friends have learned to pursue spiritual excellence. They've had to, they've come into this place. They've had to learn to live in a spiritually hostile culture. And we've seen them as they've had to face seemingly impossible challenges, uh, week after week as Ron's been preaching. Now, on the other hand, King Nebuchadnezzar has been on a very hard ride from God, from spiritual ignorance towards spiritual awakening, which is the beginning of making a journey towards spiritual excellence. His first step toward God comes when Daniel not only interprets the king's dream, but actually tells him what he dreamed. And in witnessing this, Nebuchadnezzar declares, your God is the God of gods. The king promotes Daniel to first ruler of Babylon. Now, the king knows a little bit more about God at this point, but he still remains ignorant of his own personal need for God at that point. So God's second move in the king's life comes when the king demands to be worshipped. Remember, he set up this giant 90-foot statue and said, you're all going to worship my image. Um, He ends up throwing Daniel's friends into a fiery furnace because they refuse. And then it says, one like the Son of God protects them, and Nebuchadnezzar is astonished. Thinking to pay God some sort of homage over this, he proclaims, now if anyone speaks a word against their God, that's the end of you. But see, the Lord is just not getting through to the king. And last, the last time Ron preached on this, not last week, but the week before, um, he preached on learning the lessons of humility. God was going to have to break Nebuchadnezzar's pride in order to reach him. And some of us sitting out here could tell our own tale about that, couldn't we? We could. Daniel is sent in to warn the king of this and calls him to repentance and faith. But in his pride and ignorance, Nebuchadnezzar just keeps going on and he descends into proclaiming how great he is and how great the city is that he built. And so the Lord proceeds to humble him, giving him the mind of a beast for seven years. Pretty good thing he put Daniel as first ruler of the kingdom. Otherwise, he'd have probably lost his own head during that time. But let me read you part of King Nebuchadnezzar's testimony that resulted from the Lord humbling him. It says this, At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me, I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of, he- king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. So he really got the lesson. Lesson here, next slide please, 
first lesson for the day in telling the whole truth is that the Lord God has and does go to great lengths to reveal himself to those who he is seeking to save. He went to great lengths in Nebuchadnezzar's life. God sent his son Jesus for this very purpose out of Luke 19, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Many of us here who have become Christians could share your testimony about what great lengths that the Lord has gone to in order to finally reveal himself to you. Some of them would be wonderful stories of discovery and joy, and others would be about straight and difficult times. All of them would be miraculous in one way or the other. On the other hand, perhaps you're here recognizing that God has been working in your life and circumstance, calling you to finally step over yourself and into a real and a fluid relationship with your Creator. There's an awful lot to be learned from God's interaction with Nebuchadnezzar, this prideful and self-absorbed king. And I would encourage you to take a deeper look at that. By the way, even to this day, members of the Assyrian Christian faith, they consider Nebuchadnezzar to be the first Assyrian who came to a saving faith in God. Interesting, huh? So let's move on. Now we're into King Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar. Um, I'm going to overview Daniel chapter 5. It's still going to be kind of long, so bear with me. But I found it necessary to tell the whole story. So here he is. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the kings and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Now these were vessels that Solomon had made for not for drinking out of, but for the service of the temple in Jerusalem. And um, they, these vessels were all dedicated to that purpose. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster in the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed. His thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. This guy was really scared by what he saw. You ever been that scared? I don't think I've ever been that scared. <laughs> okay. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed and his lords were astonished. The queen spoke. Leave it to a woman. She's going to step in and solve this problem, okay? No one else knows what to do. There's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. Now let Daniel be called and he will give the interpretation. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Now Daniel had been first ruler in the days of Belshazzar's father, Nebuchadnezzar, but apparently he's been uh, sidelined a bit in the recent days. Daniel answered, Let your gifts be for yourself. Give your rewards to another. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory, and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, 
He was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules over the kingdom of men and appoints it, points over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven, You have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written. Mini, mini, tikel, upharsin. This is the interpretation of each word. Mini, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tikel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. That's basically our focus scripture for today. So our second lesson in telling the whole truth is that the end result of rejecting the truth of God is judgment. Judgment will come when a person rejects the truth of God. Let's go on to the next slide. Jesus taught us this as well. John chapter 12. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken We'll judge him in the last day. Okay. So, wow, we've got two extremes in back-to-back chapters of the Bible. Why is it that the Lord God would show such patience and extend such grace toward Nebuchadnezzar, albeit with a pretty heavy hand when required, and yet seem to cut right to the chase with his son Belshazzar? What's the main difference between these two men? Well, as we saw, Nebuchadnezzar was being led from ignorance about God into the truth about God and himself. Daniel says that Belshazzar knew the truth about God and yet had not humbled himself, had lifted himself up against the Lord and turned to a gross form of idolatry, rejecting the truth about God. By the way, the gods that Belshazzar worshipped, silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, it's not really that far off from the materialism that our surrounding culture worships. You know, you could put, you know, uh, full bank accounts, paychecks, get-rich-quick schemes, prayers for wealth, and prayers for more. Those could easily represent the silver and gold and the status symbol of our vehicles and toys and bronze and iron. And our nation's recent subprime crisis reflects the desire and greed with which houses of wood and stone have been pursued. It's not all that far off. It's present among us this day. It's good to have enough. It is. It's good to be blessed with what we need, and God promises that to each of his followers. However, mankind is warned in the Bible that idolatry crosses a line that God will not long tolerate. If crossed in ignorance, like Nebuchadnezzar, he tries to reach us. If crossed in willfulness, like Belshazzar, we don't go unpunished. Whether that punishment falls in this lifetime as a result of indebtedness or uh, some other loss in our life or whether that punishment comes at the end of the age. 
Okay, so the third character in our scriptures today is, of course, Daniel. And uh, we've become a bit familiar with him over these past few weeks. We know that he's a man that loves the Lord as God. He's committed to integrity. In fact, when Kevin preaches next week, we're going to see that integrity tested in Daniel. We're going to see how he stands up to a real test. Um, Daniel has not shirked from humbly speaking the truth for God, even calling kings to repentance. So lesson number three in telling the whole truth, sometimes we are called upon to speak the truth into the lives of others, even when the process is not a very pleasant one. It couldn't have been pleasant all of these weeks we've been studying as Daniel has had to stand before Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, it was a little bit life-threatening. And before Belshazzar, in whose kingdom he was not even a ruler, and tell him the truth and call these kings to repentance. Um, It really won't be that much different for us when God puts us into situations where he's calling upon each of us to speak the truth in love to our neighbors, our friends, our family members, a boss, who, who might it be? So Daniel lived before um, the days of Jesus, but he understood this teaching that Jesus gave us in Matthew 10. He was speaking to his disciples back then, but it's very appropriate for us today. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils, scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given you in that hour what you should speak, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Uh, Daniel lived before Jesus' day, but his life shows that he clearly understood that teaching, that he was called of God to be both wise and to be harmless that God may ask of him to speak up even in potentially hazardous situations. might ask me to speak up when my job's on the line, for example. Uh, And that he could have confidence, and we can have confidence, that the Lord God will give us the right words to say as we obey him in the truth. Now, all over this globe, throughout the centuries, and even in our present day, millions of our fellow Christians suffer persecution some from their governments and some from their countrymen and some from both. They suffer it for the words that they speak and the lives they are given to live for God. Their plight is often very dire, but their testimonies are very inspirational. Next time you're surfing the web, take a look at that site. It's very very informational. I was over at De Young Museum the other day on a school field trip, and the one thing that caught my eye, you know, because art is kind of like, I don't really understand it, but one thing really caught my eye, it was a... uh, It was sort of a large room sculpture of a whole bunch of pieces of burnt wood suspended from the ceiling, and they were sort of flowing upwards. And you're looking at this going, huh, what does that mean? And you're reading the artist's plaque. Well, this is the remnants of a a mostly black church that was burned out by white supremacists in the South just in our recent uh, history in the 1980s or early 90s. I can't remember which. We had a huge rash of that going on back then. But this is both racism and persecution of Christians. But the way the artist did it, you could see that the spirit of the people, the worship of the people, their love for God was still flowing up where you can't stop that. So, you know, they were there in their community as people representing the truth with their words, with their lives, and there was some suffering for it, just like Jesus indicates that there might be, just like could have potentially hampered with Daniel. 
Okay, let's move on to the bigger picture. There's always a bigger picture. Yes, it was about God's desire to save King Nebuchadnezzar as an individual, but it was not just about King Nebuchadnezzar. And yes, it was about whether King Belshazzar would walk in the truth that he knew about God, but it was not just about King Belshazzar. Okay, And if we look at the whole truth, it is about Jesus Christ's desire to seek and to save you and I. And it is about whether or not we will then walk in the truth which is revealed to us, but it is not just about what is happening to us. There is always a bigger picture. It's really a tough one for Americans because we've been raised with the mantras of independence, individual rights, don't tread on me. Uh, perhaps every one of those things has their place, but quite a bit of bad fruit has come from the misuse of those concepts over the last couple hundred years. Uh, you know, we live in neighborhoods where we neither know nor need those who live next door. And many of us can identify with that. It's not just that our culture doesn't care about the next guy. It's that our focus in day-to-day living is almost entirely upon ourselves. And we're used to that. That's the culture that most of us have been raised in. It's a big challenge to face and to overcome as we begin to follow Jesus Christ and become spiritually excellent people who speak and and represent the truth by our lives and in our communities. So let's see what we can learn from the bigger picture of what was happening in the time of Daniel. I'm going to overview these points. Okay, redemption in the garden. Satan had won. He was triumphant. He had deceived Adam and Eve. He had destroyed God's most beautiful part of his creation, his relationship with mankind who he created in his own image. He'd separated mankind from God through sin. He'd won. But wait, God is doing something strange. He took a couple of innocent animals and God killed them and prepared their skins and clothed Adam and Eve so that they might survive physically in the environment outside the Garden of Eden. And this is prophetic. It's right there in the first chapters of the Scriptures. Very prophetic. Um, We're called in the New Testament to put on or be clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need that if we're to survive in the environment of this world while remaining Christian and followers of Christ. Um, God showed that first step that He had a plan of redemption for mankind right there. So, in ten generations... Mankind became so perverse that God's heart was breaking. And the Scripture actually records that, that the heart of God was filled with pain. I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth because I'm sorry that I made them. But there's one man who loves God and is leading his family in the Lord. Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord and God leads him to build an ark. An ark for the saving of his family, an ark for the preservation of God's creation. And this is prophetic because those who were inside the ark were safe from the judgment and those who were outside were not. And those who were in Christ, which we are being called into, are safe from the future judgment to come and those who are outside are not. God's promise to his friend Abraham. In another ten generations, we meet Abraham known as the friend of God. God promises to make of Abraham a great nation, and he says, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we can understand that as we read the fullness of the Scriptures because Christ came from Mary, a descendant of Abraham. And through Christ, all of our history has been blessed. 
We wouldn't have, you wouldn't have a nation like you have today without the foundations that were brought through Jesus Christ. Uh, even his stepfather was a descendant of Abraham. So through Abraham, all nations would be blessed, part of God's redemptive plan. Abraham's grandson, Israel. Jacob was in desperate need. He was afraid that his brother Esau was going to kill him as he returned back to the land of Canaan. He wrestled with the Lord all night. I won't let you go until you bless me. And he received the name Israel. It's prophetic of his future offspring, Jesus, because the name Israel means he will rule as God. Israel had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. Long story short, the Exodus is about how God sent Moses as a redeemer to redeem the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, pass through the Red Sea to learn God's laws on Mount Sinai. And Moses is, the prophet Moses is a clear type and foreshadowing of God's redeemer for all mankind, Jesus Christ, who takes us out of slavery to sin, baptizes us into uh, himself and begins to teach us at our own Sinai the ways and truths of God. So the tribes received the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, another godly man who foreshadows Jesus in many ways. They even share the same Hebrew name, Yeshua. The Israelites follow the Lord as long as Joshua and the leaders of his generation are alive, but then they descend into gross idolatry, following the gods of the Canaanites, which included temple prostitution and child sacrifice, we don't know anything about child sacrifice today, right? Um, anyway, the days that are recorded in the book of Judges is a time when every man did what was right in his own eyes. And that's why you read some of the stories you do in Judges and you go, how are those connected with God? Well, they're connected in the fact that everybody was doing their own thing. Um, at that time, God raised up David. Israel's greatest earthly king, and for the first time during David's reign and most of Solomon's, Israel lived in a loyal uh, walk with the Lord their God. But Solomon's son was ruthless in taxation. So ten of the tribes formed their own kingdom in the north and called themselves Israel, leaving Solomon's son only two tribes, which were called the kingdom of Judah in the south. Now Israel had 19 kings, all of whom led their people in, in terrible idolatry, so that they would not go down to the land of Judah and worship in God's temple. That's the one thing they didn't want, their people to go down and worship in that temple because then the king of Judah would get control again. Around 700 B.C., God has just had it with Israel. He sends in the Assyrians to defeat them and to remove them from the land, and they never return. We know them in, her, in history. We refer to them as the lost tribes of, of, of the house of Israel, and their remnant was scattered worldwide. The kingdom of Judah has 20 kings. Eight of them are godly men, leading their people and at times restoring the people in worship to God. But the rest of the kings of Judah copy Israel and lead their people in gross idolatry. And God's sentence through his prophets of that time is very clear. Judah is my chosen through whom I will bring the Christ, but I am sending them into exile in Babylon for 70 years. Now it was Nebuchadnezzar whom God used to defeat and captivate the kingdom of Judah, taking the people from the promised land over to live into Babylonia. It was a punishment for idolatry. God's bigger picture in reaching Nebuchadnezzar with the truth was to provide captive Israel with a home where idolatry did not reign. And God's bigger picture in removing Belshazzar from the kingdom was to prevent Babylonia from now sliding back into idolatry, which had been removed with the saving of King Nebuchadnezzar. 
So the next king, Darius, is sympathetic towards Daniel. We'll read about that next week. And finally, King Cyrus, whom God foretold by name hundreds of years before he was born through the prophet Isaiah that he would be the restorer of, of Israel. King Cyrus commands the people of Judah to return and rebuild that temple of God in Jerusalem. That's the first rebuilding of the temple. So the end result of God's bigger picture during this time of Daniel, was that after 70 years of captivity during the rest of the Old Testament times, we never again read about the children of Judah falling back into idolatry. They remained more or less true to the Lord their God. And when the time of Christ arrived, we see many of them hungry for God, ready for the Messiah, on the lookout for the Savior that God foretold of so long ago and pictured in God's interactions with His people in so many ways over the centuries. They asked John the Baptist, are you the Christ? He says, no, I'm not. I'm not worthy to, to unloose his shoe. He says, there's the Lamb of God, the Savior who takes away the sin of the world. And many of them followed Jesus at that time. So there was a much bigger and simultaneous reason for God wanting Nebuchadnezzar to know the truth and for God wanting Belshazzar to walk in the truth that he knew of. Just as there are reasons bigger than us surrounding God's work in each of our lives which affect our families, our acquaintances, and our nation as a whole. So keep that in mind. Telling the whole truth. Next slide, please. Uh, the lesson number four, God's big picture truth prevails in spite of man's efforts to change it. Belshazzar would have changed the course that God had sent up. God said, no, I'm handing your kingdom over to somebody else. 2 Peter 3.8, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's plan of redemption for mankind will always go on. So, in conclusion, Hopefully we've seen today that God places truth in our lives to aim us, both as individuals and as nations, in the right direction. It's His desire. It's part of His redemptive plan. Satan thought he won so many years back ago in the garden. He didn't win. God has a redemptive plan for me, for you. As each of us receives the Lord's salvation, opening up our lives to Him, letting Him work out His truth in us, we will see His kingdom come. We will see His will done here on earth, here in Petaluma, even as it is in heaven. And by the way, ultimately as we learn about the whole truth, we make an important discovery. Truth is much more than just a tool in God's toolbox. In fact, it is a large part of God Himself. Jesus taught us this as well. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in Me also. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The truth is a large part of who God is. It's not just a tool in His toolbox somewhere. Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the truth about God and ourselves. 
Jesus is the life that He intends to give us. Is it any wonder then that God desires to place His truth, Jesus Christ, into each of our individual lives for our benefit, for our salvation, and to achieve His greatest desire, which is the redemption of mankind? One more Scripture about the truth. Jesus taught us this. But the hour is coming. He said this to the woman at the well in Samaria. She wasn't a Jew. She was part of the Samaritan people that the Assyrians had brought in to replace the Israelites that they had removed from the land 700 years before this. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such... Bring that back up, please. The Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. It's very important, very integral part of our lives. Okay, so as we're seeking spiritual excellence, as we're moving in this this way, as we continue to unfold this series, I ask you to consider the things that I've talked about this morning. Do you recognize, like Nebuchadnezzar, that perhaps God is working in your life? He's trying to bring you beyond yourself, step into a fluid relationship with with your uh, Creator for once and for all. Uh, If you recognize that in your life, then do as James counsels. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Take that opportunity to press into God. Seek Him. Prayer, His Word. Walk with Him. Ask Him questions. Let Him talk to you. Draw near to God. He'll do that mighty work in your life. Are you living out different things in your life that you know are a willful rejection of what God would have for you? Well, then, just like Daniel, I'll warn you and I'll call you to repentance because those things will not prosper and you will suffer judgment in your life over them, either here or in the hereafter. And there will be times in your life when God calls you, like Daniel, in fact, it'll probably be every day, that He calls you to speak the truth, to live the truth, to live it openly before the people among whom He has placed you. We've all been placed. And recognize that there's a bigger picture. It's so much more than just about us. It's about God's plan of redemption for all mankind, for the world. Yes, it's about us, but it's also bigger. And we need to turn away from that, that ingrained Americanism, and head towards those things. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for this series. Thank you for Daniel. He is just, if we were to look throughout the Old Testament, I think he is either the only one or one of the only two men of whom nothing negative is ever said. No sin of his is ever pointed out. No one else in the Old Testament is like that. So this was a man after your own heart, a godly man who followed you. And Lord, we are seeking to become spiritually excellent people as we invite You in, as we let You work in our lives, as we put aside things that we know that You are showing us don't belong in our lives. And I pray for my hearers today. I pray for each one of them because You know them individually and You also know the bigger picture circle in which You're having each one of them walk and where their influences lie and where where Your creativity wants to flow through them in this world. I pray for them, I pray for us, that You will guide us on this path of spiritual excellence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for hearing me today. I think Gordon has a passion for understanding the Bible.
You know, if I was to, to sum up this message or where we are at, it would be this. If you're on a spiritual journey, if you have a desire to know God and to experience God and bring your life into alignment with God, I think you're in the right place. We are pursuing God. I can tell you we haven't got it all figured out. With fear and trembling, we walk out our relationship with God. But we want to know him and we want to respond to him. And so if that resonates with you, if that's where you are at, trying to figure out some eternal things and how they impact you on a day-to-day basis, then join us in the journey. Join us as we, as we walk towards God, as we walk towards eternity, as we support each other and as we laugh with each other and as we cry with each other. That's what the body of Christ is. And we'd love to, be a, to have you be part of that, to bring your own unique, special contribution as well as so that you can be blessed. I'd like to invite you as we begin to wrap up this morning to take that welcome card that I had talked to you about. And if there is something that, uh, as a body, we very much believe in prayer. Prayer is our way of coming into communication with God and, and really hearing what he's saying and then responding to, to God. And so we like to pray on behalf of situations in people's lives so that you would know what God's will is, so that you would know his encouragement. God talks about his spirit being the comfort, and we want you to know God's comfort. comfort. So we pray for you. And so on that response card, there is a place to put down your prayer requests, and we will be praying for you this, this whole week. It was wonderful. Uh, yesterday we had, or Friday rather, we had 12 hours of prayer at the office from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., and people were coming throughout the day. And it was just fun to watch people stopping in for 10, 15 minutes, some people an hour, some people a couple hours. We'd just be in there and praying. God says his, his house the church is a, it's a house of prayer. And so we very much value your prayer requests. And so if you would fill that out, that would be great. Also, if there's any other way we can connect you in or minister to you or, or help you or support you, or maybe you want to get involved in a ministry, all those things, if you'd respond on the card, that would be super. We're going to be collecting those in a moment. It's also our time for, to take up an offering and, uh, just invite you as God leads, as God per, put, puts it on your heart, respond to God. God says if we give generously, he will bless us generously. If this is your first time here, don't feel obligated to give. We're just glad that you are here today. We just bless you, and we ask you to turn in your welcome card. um, And just know that you are appreciated. Pray with me. Father, as we uh, get ready to come before you and acknowledge that all that we have has been a blessing from you, God, that you have opened up your windows of heaven and you have poured blessing into our life and into our church. And so, God, we respond joyfully by giving back to you. God, giving back to you so so that others can know the joy of a relationship with you. God, we give back to you so that we can know the joy of partnering with you and the freedom to live generously. God, we love you and we pray for all the churches around this city. God, we are so blessed with a band of brothers who uh, preach the gospel every week from so many different pulpits around this city. And, God, just your blessing over those churches. God, may they just have a a season of prosperity as they grow in their relationship with you, as they grow numerically, as their financial needs are all covered. Lord, we bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information and past sermons, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.